J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke. Section 94. The Parables of the Lost Sheep and the Lost Coin. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman Having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. chapter which begins with these verses is as well known to Bible readers as any. Few chapters perhaps have done more good to the souls of men. Let us take heed that it does good to us. We should first observe in these verses the striking testimony which was borne to our Lord by his enemies. We read that when all the publicans and sinners drew near to hear him, the scribes and Pharisees murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. These words were evidently spoken with surprise and scorn, and not with pleasure and admiration. These ignorant guides of the Jews could not understand a religious preacher having anything to do with wicked people. Yet their words worked for good. The very saying which was meant for a reproach was adopted by the Lord Jesus as a true description of his ministry. It led to his speaking three of the most instructive parables which ever fell from his lips. The testimony of the scribes and Pharisees was strictly and literally true. The Lord Jesus is indeed one who receives sinners. He receives them to pardon them, to sanctify them, and to make them fit for heaven. It is his special office to do so. For this end he came into the world. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came into the world to save sinners. What he was upon earth, he is now at the right hand of God, and will be to all eternity. He is emphatically the sinner's friend. Have we any sense of sin? Do we feel bad and wicked and guilty and deserving of God's wrath? 
Is the remembrance of our past lives bitter to us? Does the recollection of our past conduct make us ashamed? Then we are the very people who ought to apply to Christ just as we are, pleading nothing good of our own and making no useless delay. Christ will receive us graciously, pardon us freely, and give us eternal life. He is the one who receives sinners. Let us not be lost for lack of applying to him that we may be saved. We should observe, secondly, in these verses, the remarkable figures under which our Lord describes his own love towards sinners. We read that in reply to the taunting remark of his enemies, he spoke three parables, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost piece of silver, and the prodigal son. The first two of these parables are now before us. All three are meant to illustrate one and the same truth. They all throw strong light on Christ's willingness to save sinners. Christ's love is an active, working love. Just as the shepherd did not sit still bewailing his lost sheep, and the woman did not sit still bewailing her lost money, so our blessed Lord did not sit still in heaven, pitying sinners. He left the glory that he had with the Father, and humbled himself to be made in the likeness of man. He came down into the world to seek and save those who were lost. He never rested until he had made atonement for our transgressions, brought in everlasting righteousness, provided eternal redemption, and opened a door of life to all who are willing to be saved. Christ's love is a self-denying love. The shepherd brought his lost sheep home on his own shoulders rather than leave it in the wilderness. The woman lit a candle and swept the house and searched diligently and spared no pains until she found her lost money. In the same way did Christ not spare himself when he undertook to save sinners. He endured the cross, scorning the shame. He laid down his life for his friends. Greater love than this cannot be shown. John chapter 15 verse 13, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Christ's love is a deep and mighty love. Just as the shepherd rejoiced to find his sheep and the woman to find her money, so does the Lord Jesus rejoice to save sinners. It is a real pleasure to him to pluck them as brands from the burning. It was his food and drink when upon earth to finish the work which he came to do. He felt constrained in spirit until it was accomplished. It is still his delight to show mercy. He is far more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. Let us strive to know something of this love of Christ. It is a love that truly surpasses knowledge. It is unspeakable and unsearchable. It is on that which we must wholly rest our souls if we would have peace with God in time and glory 
in eternity. If we take comfort in our own love to Christ, then we're building on a sandy foundation. But if we lean on Christ's love to us, we are firmly on a rock. We should observe lastly in these verses the wide encouragement which our Lord holds out to repentance. We read these striking words, There shall be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We read the same thought again after a few verses, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The thing is doubled to make doubt impossible. The idea is repeated in order to meet man's unbelief. There are deep things in these sayings beyond doubt. Our poor weak minds are little able to understand how the perfect joy of heaven can admit of increase. But one thing at any rate stands out clearly on the face of these expressions. There is an infinite willingness on God's part to receive sinners. However wicked a man may have been, in the day that he really turns from his wickedness and comes to God by Christ, God is well pleased. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but God has pleasure in true repentance. Let the man who is afraid to repent consider well the verses we are now looking at and be afraid no more. There is nothing on God's part to justify his fears. An open door is set before him. A free pardon awaits him. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 Let the man who is ashamed to repent consider these verses and cast shame aside. What though the world mocks and jests at his repentance? While man is mocking, angels are rejoicing. The very change which sinners call foolishness is a change which fills heaven with joy. Have we repented ourselves? This, after all, is the principal question which concerns us. What shall it profit us to know Christ's love if we do not use it? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. John chapter 13, verse 17.
J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 95 The Parable of the Lost Son Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 24 And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. before us is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. It may truly be called a mighty spiritual picture. Unlike some of our Lord's parables, it does not convey to us one great lesson only, but many. Every part of it is particularly rich in instruction. We see firstly in this parable a man following the natural bent of his own heart. Our Lord shows us a younger son making haste to go far away from a kind father's house and wasting his substance in riotous living. We have in these words a faithful portrait of the mind with which we are all born. This is our likeness. We're all naturally proud and self-willed. We have no pleasure in fellowship with God. We long to depart and go afar away from Him. We spend our time and strength and faculties and affections on things that cannot profit. The covetous man does it in one way, the slave of lusts and passions in another way, and the lover of pleasure in another way. In one point alone are all agreed. Like sheep, we all naturally go astray and turn every one to his own way. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. In the younger son's initial conduct, we see the natural heart of every man. 
He who knows nothing of these things has yet much to learn. He is spiritually blind. The eyes of his understanding need to be opened. The worst ignorance in the world is not to know ourselves. Happy is he who has been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and been made acquainted with himself. Of too many, it may be said, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Psalm 82, verse 5. We see, secondly, in this parable, man finding out by bitter experience that the ways of sin are hard. Our Lord shows us the younger son spending all his property and reduced to poverty, obliged to hard labor to feed swine, so hungry he's ready to eat swine's food, and cared for by none. These words describe a common case. Sin is a hard master, and the servants of sin always find it out, sooner or later, to their cost. Unconverted people are never really happy. Under a profession of accomplishment and cheerfulness, they are often ill at ease within. Thousands of them are sick at heart, dissatisfied with themselves, weary of their own ways, and thoroughly uncomfortable. There are many who say, Who will show us any good? There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. Psalm 4, 6 Isaiah chapter 57, verse 21. Let this truth sink down into our hearts. It is a truth, however loudly unconverted people may deny it. The way of transgressors is hard. Proverbs 13, verse 15. The secret wretchedness of natural man is exceedingly great. There is a deep sorrow within, however much they may try to conceal it. They are in need. He who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. It is no wonder that Paul said, What profit did you have in those things which you are now ashamed of? Galatians chapter 6 verse 8, Romans chapter 6 verse 21. We see, thirdly, in this parable, man awaking to a sense of his natural state and resolving to repent. Our Lord tells that the younger son came to himself and said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare, and I am perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned. The thoughts of thousands are vividly painted in these words. Thousands have reasoned in this way and are saying such things to themselves every day. We must be thankful whenever we see such thoughts arise. Mere thinking is not change of heart, but it may be the beginning of it. Mere conviction is not conversion, but it is one step at any rate in the right direction. The ruin of many people's souls is simply this, that they never think at all. One caution, however, must always be given. Men must beware that they do not stop short by simply thinking. Good thoughts are all very well, but 
they are not saving Christianity. If the younger son had never got beyond thinking, then he might have kept away from home to the day of his death. We see fourthly in this parable man turning to God with true repentance and faith. Our Lord shows us the younger son leaving the far country where he was and going back to his father's house, carrying into practice the good intentions he had formed and unreservedly confessing his sin. So he got up and went to his father. These words are a lifelike outline of true repentance and conversion. The man in whose heart a true work of the Holy Spirit has begun will never be content with mere thinking and resolving. He will break off from sin, he will cease to do evil, and he will learn to do good. He will turn to God in humble prayer. He will confess his iniquities. He will not attempt to excuse his sins. He will say with David, I acknowledge my transgressions. He will say with the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Psalm 51 verse 3, Luke chapter 18 verse 13. Let us beware of any repentance, falsely so called, which is not of this character. Action is the very life of repentance unto salvation. Feelings and tears and remorses and wishes and resolutions are all useless until they are accompanied by action and a change of life. In fact, they're worse than useless. Insensibly, they sear the conscience and harden the heart. We see fifthly in this parable, the penitent man received readily, pardoned freely, and completely accepted with God. Our Lord shows us this in this part of the younger son's history in the most touching manner. We read that he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. More deeply affecting words than these, perhaps, were never written. To comment on them seems almost needless. It is like gilding refined gold or painting the lily. These words show us in great, broad letters the infinite love of the Lord Jesus Christ towards sinners. They teach how infinitely willing he is to receive all who come to him, and how complete and full and immediate is the pardon which he is ready to bestow. By him all who believe are justified from all things. He is plenteous in mercy. 
Acts chapter 13, verse 39, Psalm 86, verse 5. Let this boundless mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ be engraved deeply in our memories and sink into our minds. Let us never forget that he is one who receives sinners. With him and his mercy, sinners ought to begin when they first begin to desire salvation. On him and his mercy, saints must live when they've been taught to repent and believe. The life which I live in the flesh, says Paul, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 